late one night, 13 years before his conversion, John Wesley had a conversation with a porter at his college. And that conversation deeply impressed him and convinced him that there was more to Christianity than he had found. Wesley discovered this man had only one coat and that nothing had passed his lips that day except a drink of water. And yet his heart was full of gratitude to God. And Wesley said, you thank God when you have nothing to wear, nothing to eat, and no bed to lie upon. What else do you thank him for? I thank him, answered the porter, that he's given me my life and being and a heart to love him and a desire to serve him. Thankfulness. I think so many of us are blind to the many blessings that God showers upon us every day. I mean, you woke up this morning and the sun was shining. How many of you thank Jesus? I mean, you hear the, the birds chirping, you see the flowers and the trees, and yet we don't give a moment's thought that God has given us those blessings and the senses to enjoy them. We often complain about having to eat the same thing every morning for breakfast when we don't realize that others would gladly exchange places with us to have anything to eat. We complain about our jobs, forgetting that many people would really be grateful to have a job or just to have enough bodily strength to go to work. We complain about our lack of money, forgetting that we spend more on entertainment each month than many people around the world earn as their total income. Yes, too often, all too often, we lose sight of giving thanks to the one who has given us everything. Now, whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or a person who does not even believe in God, the fact is God has blessed you far more than you realize and far more than you deserve. Expressing gratitude, what that does, it allows us to see what we have not what we don't have. Well, in the gospel story this morning, Jesus is proceeding toward Jerusalem where he will meet his appointed destiny. He's traveling somewhere along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. Jesus is outside the village when the group of lepers meet him because being outside the village that would be a common place for them to be because people who had leprosy were banned from society they didn't have any place or land of their own and the lepers pleaded Jesus master have mercy on us Jesus master note what they called him they did not call him teacher they didn't call him Lord. They didn't call him Messiah or Son of David. They called him Master. That's a title 
that no one else uses to address Jesus in all the gospel accounts except the disciples. And a more literal reading would be, Jesus, we see your power and we respect you as one who works miracles. Please have mercy on us. So they were professing faith in Jesus as a miracle worker. Do you believe Jesus can work miracles? Well, yes, of course, that's sort of our immediate response. We never really doubted that Jesus did miracles or even that he still does miracles today. But do you, you have enough faith to believe that he would work a miracle in your life. The lepers pleaded, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Mercy, like grace, is God's undeserved favor. Grace is getting what we really do not deserve. And mercy is not getting what we deserve. But mercy also contains the thought of compassion in view of the pitiful situation of these lepers. Now leprosy in biblical times, it was a terrible thing. We're not exactly sure what biblical leprosy was. It may have described what we know today as Hansen's disease. However, the word leprosy included other skin diseases as well. But whatever it was, once a person caught it, it was generally considered incurable. In all of biblical history, only two people had ever been cured of leprosy. Miriam, who had leprosy for seven days as a punishment for speaking against Moses' leadership, and Naaman, whom we read about in the Old Testament lesson this morning, who when he obeyed, Elijah's instruction to go wash in the Jordan River was healed. Only those two, Miriam and Naaman. Now, while Israelites, they didn't operate on the germ theory of disease. They did understand something about infectious diseases. And those suspected of leprosy or diagnosed with leprosy, they were banned from society. In fact, the Mosaic law prescribed that the person with such an infectious disease be cut off from his family, in, from society, including his family. And he had to wear torn clothing, had to have his head uncovered, and he had to cover his lips and shout, unclean, unclean, to anybody that came near him to, so that they would keep their distance. Now Jesus encounters these 10 lepers who have band together now, if nine were Jews, their common tragedy had broken down the traditional separation between Jews and Samaritans. They were all outcasts. They were separated from the common worship. They were separated from their own people. They seemingly were under God's curse. Those lepers, though, were all together, Jews and Samaritan. Because when you're a leper, I mean, politics, race, Jewish history, none of that really matters. Now, you may recall when Jesus healed the leper in Luke chapter 5, 
that he reached out and he touched the leper and immediately the leprosy left him. So he first healed him and then he instructed him to go to the priest. But here, rather than reaching out and touching them, as he did in Luke chapter 5, Jesus simply instructs him, go show yourselves to the priest. Now that had to sound a little strange to these lepers. Showing yourself to the priest, that was something you did after your skin disease had run its course and you're well again. There wouldn't be any point in going and show the priest unless they were cleansed of their leprosy. And yet at this point, they were not cleansed. They had to act in obedient faith. As they were going, they were cleansed. Without any evidence of healing, Jesus commands these ten lepers to go and show themselves to the priest. And in this, I think their situation was very similar to that of Naaman the Syrian, whom Elijah told to go and wash in the Jordan River. It was a test of faith for them to go without any evidence of cleansing or healing. So I think one very clear lesson of this story is, is the faith that healed the lepers was by acting on Jesus' words. Jesus said, go show yourselves to the priest. He was implying that they were healed, but if they'd done a quick physical check, they would have known that they weren't and they wouldn't have headed off to the priest's village. The healing didn't take place until after they obeyed. I mean, sometimes we want instant healing before we'll believe that Jesus heals. But the faith here is shown in the going. Now, I'm not suggesting that you throw away your antibiotics or you fire your doctors or you discontinue treatment before healing can be manifest. That's not what Jesus asked the lepers to do. Rather to turn from a doubt-filled faith to an expectant faith. To turn to a new way of seeing what God is doing and what he will do. And perhaps we should make that doctor's appointment. I mean, that's the modern day equivalent of going to the priest for a physical examination. These can be acts of faith. Now, people are far more prone to pray in time of need than they are to praise when God meets that need. In fact, Oswald Chambers, in my utmost for his highest, wrote, the great difficulty spiritually is to concentrate on God. And it's his blessings that make that difficult. Troubles almost nearly always make us look to God. His blessings are apt to make us look elsewhere. Jesus asked, was none of them found to return and give thanks and praise to God except this foreigner? I mean, how many of you were encouraged by your parents to write thank you notes to your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, family, friends who gave you gifts or money for 
a birthday or graduation or some other accomplishment. I mean, why, why do they spend all that time maybe sometimes bribing you, threatening you to, if you don't sit down and write that thank you note and, and put a stamp on it and put it in the mail? Why did they spend all that time and energy doing that? It's because an attitude of gratitude, that's the right response when we're blessed in some way by others. So question, how do you get under the skin of the most gracious and loving person who ever lived? Well, one way is to forget to say thank you to Jesus for what he's done. I, I mean, you can almost hear the disappointment in his voice. Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Now, the word foreigner is used only in this one instance in the New Testament. Jesus calls attention to the fact that this one who is born outside of the people of God is the only one who behaves in a manner that's appropriate to a true child of Abraham. Only this foreigner who couldn't even enter the courts of the Jewish temple has shown the kind of faith that responds in gratitude to God's grace. Now, if what Jesus had done was a small thing, we might be able to understand the neglect of the nine. But saving the lives of 10 people, that is no small thing. And so the lesson for us in this narrative, it's not shrouded in mystery. When Jesus acts graciously on our behalf, he expects us to express gratitude. Where are the other nine? Healing that doesn't bring a person to Jesus, that isn't complete healing. And I believe another important lesson for us to learn from this story is, and that is that Jesus takes pleasure in being thanked. Did you ever think about that? Reflect on the time when you gave somebody a gift and they didn't thank you or express gratitude. How did that make you feel? You and I, we want to be thanked for the things we do, don't we? Why wouldn't Jesus? I mean, we sometimes think that someone great or maybe somebody all-powerful does something for us. They don't feel the need to be thanked. But that's not true. Jesus delights in it when we take time to give him thanks. Yeah, I mean, Jesus points out that we, we can receive blessings from God without really following him. But we're only going to find life as was in the way it was meant to be is if we take advantage of the relationship that he offers. So, here's the question that we have to ask. If we were one of the ten lepers, would we have been content with the healing or would we have come back to get to know the healer? Would we have been more excited to get back to our family, our jobs, our friends, or would we have gone back to Jesus first? So we have to ask, are we using God? Are we only seeing what 
he can give us in missing the splendor of who he is. If you think just that that might be the way you're living, let me offer you some suggestions of how to move forward. One, view obedience to God's commands as a way to honor God rather than a way to earn points towards a blessing. Two, use your prayer time to get to know God rather than merely giving him a list of the things that you want. Three, make it a point each day to list specific things for which you're grateful and then turn back to God each day and express your gratitude. Four, read the Bible seeking to know the person of God rather than just looking for the promises of how he's going to bless you. And finally, make a list of reasons why you should worship God that have nothing to do with what he can give you. See, we need to change the way we view our faith. We need to work consistently at putting God first in our lives. Not because it's going to benefit us, but because he is worthy of our worship. So as you go into this week, work at becoming more like the Samaritan than the ten lepers. Be grateful for what he's given you, but also for the fact he wants to have a relationship with you. Strive to live for him with asking, without asking, what's in it for me? And now to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the all-just do ascribe might, dominion, power, and majesty, world without end. Amen.